Thank you, Michael, for reading our Old Testament and New Testament scripture today, and Will for your music. Thank you. Have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems like bad manners or cynicism is always a sign of things no eyes have seen or ears have heard. You don't know what wars are going on down where the spirit meets the bone. But ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I really enjoy being a parent of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And you probably have told, seen me do that. But it's been great. And I never realized that as a parent, I would grow so much and discover things that I could not do before. For instance, if I'm in the kitchen doing dishes, I can listen to 20 fingers and 20 toes in the other room and make a detailed picture in my head of every little thing that they are doing. Really, it's an amazing superpower. And then it gets quiet. And that quietness is usually a stealth operation to unplug the Wi-Fi router. So I dry my hands, and I usually stop it just before that happens. No one told me I would be getting these superpowers when I became a parent, but I really enjoyed them. Along with parental sonar, I have developed the power to heal any wound. You laugh, but I can heal any wound. Bumps, cuts, headaches, bruises, one kiss from dad. And that's all it takes. Just last week, Jamie fell and hurt his knee, brought it to me for a kiss, and all at once, he stopped crying. He wiped the tears from his eyes. He smiled, gave me a high five, and then ran right back into the gamut with joy. Amazing how just one kiss from dad can heal it all. Now, if only that was true for all of us. If one kiss could heal our recovering shoulder, if one kiss could cause the cancer to go away, if one kiss could heal our anxiety or our depression, if one kiss could end the war, if one kiss could heal the heartache of loss and loneliness, if only, if only that were true, if only our weariness could be healed with just one kiss, if only it could be healed with one prayer. We all know by now it doesn't work that way. We often join the psalmist that Michael just read, where they call it to God, how long? How long until I get some relief? How long until I'm healed? How long until I feel joy? At the beginning of worship, you each were invited to write on a piece of paper about the weariness that you carry into the Advent season. Truth be told, that piece of paper was going to be a large rock or a bigger rock. Because the group met to discuss today's theme and acknowledge that literally weariness is heavy. It takes muscles to carry it from place to place. That weariness comes from holding the weight of disappointments, regrets, discouragements we all know and we all have. 
Some of us have held them for weeks, months, years, a lifetime. Sometimes we hold it not knowing fully what we are holding. Maybe there's unmet expectations of what others are doing. Maybe we're following the nightly news and each story is just another brick on top. Or we're scrolling endlessly on social media, comparing our lives with others, reading opinions of hate and rage. And all of that contributes to that weight. So whether it's a rock or a piece of paper, it is heavy on our soul. And this morning, we recognize what you have written and what it takes to carry that day after day. The question for us this Advent season is how does a weary world rejoice? How do we avoid being crushed to the point of complacency or despair? How do we, uh, in our lives, wait for, anticipate God's presence being born in our lives? Can we rejoice? Can we find joy despite the news headlines, despite the mess, the pain? That is part of what it means to be human. Scripture says that Zechariah is old. That Elizabeth is old. And I remember a couple of years ago going to visit someone in a nursing home, and she had this sign on her wall. It says, getting old is not for the weak. <laughs> and it's true. Getting old is not for the weak. So we knew that Zechariah and Elizabeth are carrying some weight. But they are also carrying a lifetime of wanting to bear children but could not. They saw themselves as parents, passing on tradition, caring for each other, but that was not meant to be. Now, it wasn't a punishment for something that they did. Scripture says that they were blameless, that they were faithful to the covenant. And so for reasons beyond their control and God's control, it never happened. And we can imagine the repeated disappointment over the years and the compounding weight that they carried. Well, an angel visits Zechariah in the temple one day. And it appears next to the altar. And let's just say Zechariah scares easily, although I'd be pretty scared as well. He's instantly overcome with fear. He can't breathe. He can't catch his breath. He is terrified beyond belief, trying to wrap his head around the presence of an actual angel in his midst. But the angel has good news to share. For he tells Zechariah that soon and very soon, that prayer will be answered. That weight will be lifted. And he and Elizabeth will finally have the family they wanted. That he and Elizabeth, after years of trying, years of disappointment, would finally have the child they always wanted. And after years of weariness, Zechariah would have joy and gladness. And so we would expect that he would shout in praise, fall to his knees, worship God, run home, tell Elizabeth the good news. We would expect him to jump for joy at this announcement and give thanks for God. But he doesn't. He simply can't risk it again. He can't risk having the joy. 
What if it happens again? A place where some of us have been. In essence, he responds to God's good news with this. I'll believe it when I see it. His spirit is broken. His faith is shaken. And Zechariah is so overcome with weariness that he can't fully receive the good news that is being told to him. And since he can't fully listen to it, he's not able to share it either. And perhaps that's why Gabriel makes it so he's unable to speak. Perhaps the weight of weariness was too much and he simply could not share what God was up to in the world. This is a hard place for people of faith to be. When the floodgates open and we can't fully trust that God is moving in our lives and we can't trust God is making something new, instead, like Zechariah, we say, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe God cares when I am fully healed. I'll believe God really does love me when that pain goes away. I'll believe God is for justice when war and violence come to an end. For Zechariah, only until the child is born will he believe and have hope in the good news. In his book, The Spirituals and the Blues, James Cone, who is the father of black liberation theology, talks about the power of spirituals for enslaved African Americans trying to survive slavery in the United States. And as their white masters used fear and terror to cultivate and harvest profits, as they watched their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren being born into the same dehumanizing system, they sang. They sang spirituals. And one of them goes like this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. Cone points out that in the midst of what was hell on earth, in a trouble that no one else could know that there was someone that they could turn to, a source that could sustain them, a source that could sustain them until they were liberated. And James Cone says that the spirituals and those that sung them made no attempt to evade the reality of suffering that they were going through. They do not question the justice and the goodness of God, for that was the very point of departure for faith. But they believed they could always go to Jesus in secret and get the relief that they needed. Not to remove the trouble, but to keep them from sinking. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. The next lines say, glory, hallelujah. I know that my kiss did not heal Jamie's knee. I did not remove the pain of falling. I know my kiss cannot take away the fear of a nightmare or the mark of a bruise. Yet every time I ask Jamie, is it better? He says, yes. 
Not because he is healed, but because he is seen. This morning, we acknowledge our weariness not to feel down, not to find a band-aid to just put over it and say, everything's going to work out just the way we want it to, but to know that while we wait for wholeness, while we wait for the birth of Christ in our lives, there is still good news to be heard and seen. Amen? There is still good news in the message of the angel, in the get well card on your nightstand, in being handed a flower after the service, in the work of those advocating for peace and justice, in hostages being returned home to their family, and knowing we can always go to God in secret and get the relief we need. So you may be weary. But don't let your weariness keep you from experiencing the goodness of God in your life. And this is when the story of Zechariah gets even better. Despite saying, I'll believe it when I see it. Despite being too weary to receive the good news, God is not discouraged by his lack of faith. God is not offended that he is too worried. God does not turn away, but God does what God says God will do. So whatever you wrote on your piece of paper, whatever that heaviness is that you bring, find assurance that God is on it. This much we can be certain of and find hope in. And I dare say, even a weary world can rejoice. Amen? Amen. And amen.